Good morning, church. How we doing? We doing well? Good, good, good. Need a little extra room today. I'm really excited. Uh, this is where I would normally ask you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15 because we are in a series that we literally just started last week called Living in the Vine, where we're looking at what does it look like to live in relationship with Jesus? You know, how, how does that affect the way we bear fruit? Uh, how, how does that affect the way we love one another in this church? How does it look uh, in comparison to how people live in the world? And then in the last week in this series, we're going to look at how does the Holy Spirit, the Helper, the Comforter, uh, help us to do all of those things. Um, so that's kind of where we are, with the exception of we're not going to do that today. I know it says that on your bulletin, living in the vine. I had a last-minute change of plans um, as, yesterday, actually. And so the reason why I'm, I'm changing what I'm going to preach on today is because, church, today is a special day. Today, we have a baptism. And so... I want to talk about baptism, and I want to talk about new life in Jesus, and so that's where we're at today. We're going to continue in our series, Living in the Vine, um, next week, but today we're going to talk about what it means to be baptized, what it means to live with Christ, to be united with Christ, to be in relationship with Christ, what it means to live a new life as a new creation in Christ. And so as I dive in, would you join me as I pray for the rest of our time together? Father, I thank You so much for Your Spirit who is actively working in this church. God, it is clear that You are at work in this church. And that when You are at work in the life of the church, the gates of hell will not prevail. And so Lord, may the power of Your Spirit press upon the people and the hearts of people in this room that which they need to hear to draw closer to You. And Father, if there's any person in this room who is not in relationship with Jesus, who might right now not think that they're going to make a decision to be baptized, that Father, through Your Spirit and the calling of Jesus on their lives, would You lead them to that decision? By the grace and mercy of Your great name, I pray. Amen. Amen, amen. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Is that your life, church? Have you been crucified with Christ? Because if you have, then the life that you live is not yours. It's been crucified with Christ, the Bible tells us. The life that you now live In the flesh, you live by faith in the Son of the living God. This is what it means to be united with Christ. Our lives are no longer our own. They were bought with a price, the blood of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Amen? The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith and the Son of the living God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. Oh man, there's a sermon in that couple of verses. That's one verse actually. There's an entire sermon for that. Uh, Do you feel like Christ lives in you? I hope you do. I hope that the regular 
life that church can become has not allowed you to lose sight that Christ lives in you. The hope of eternal glory. Does He live in you and do you know that and do you feel that? In the life you now live in the flesh, you live by faith in the Son of God. Uh, don't think that these kinds of questions cannot be asked of ourselves. We, we want to make light of the kingdom of Jesus. And we're able to do that because Christ lives in us. The hope of eternal glory. Is it you who lives or is it Christ who lives in you? I want to start. We're going to be in various different passages today. I want to start in Mark chapter 1. If you want to turn some, somewhere, that's the place to turn. We will start there and, and hang out there for a bit. Mark chapter 1. This is uh, not the beginning of creation, but uh, the beginning of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, or the ministry, rather, of Jesus Christ. He says this in Mark 1, verse 14, or it says this about him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, verse 15, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's what Jesus says. That's what Jesus says. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is the kingdom of heaven being established on this earth. The kingdom of God is the people of God. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, the kingdom of God is there. Amen? That's, that's the kingdom of God. In other words, the kingdom of heaven through Jesus has come to proclaim the gospel. Paul calls it in other places the gospel of God. You ever heard it called that? It's the gospel of God. And Jesus has come first to proclaim this good news. So in essence, if you have turned from your life of sin, as the Bible calls repentance, and believed in the gospel of God, you have become a part of the kingdom of God. Let me personalize it. Let me just personalize it. I like to personalize things, as you guys know. Wherever you are, Christian, the kingdom of God is there. Kingdom of God. We're filled with the Spirit of God. That's, we make up the kingdom of God. The people of God, where the Spirit of God is. When Jesus came preaching the gospel of this kingdom, there was a sense of urgency. The time is fulfilled, Jesus says. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. There was a sense of urgency. The time is here. The time is now. It's as close as your hand. Don't wait any longer. I'm here the Messiah has come. Yeshua, the Lord, saves. Don't waste any time. I'm here now. Don't miss this moment to repent and to believe in the Gospel of God. So there's a sense of urgency as Jesus comes to first proclaim this Gospel. The time has come. I'm here. And I'm proclaiming to you this good news. Turn from your life controlled by your flesh and turn to live in the Son of God. The time has come. And so, with that sense of urgency, I want to ask you, do you live with that sense of urgency? An urgency that was pressed upon your heart 
in a specific time in your life. Uh, let's, uh, again, personalize it. That time in your life when you, you made a, deci- a decision to surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Do you live with an urgency that the time has come, the kingdom of God is at hand? Do you, do you live that way? And the way you live, the way you speak, uh, the way you hopefully uh, share the Gospel, do you live with a sense of urgency? The time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's a proclamation that we can make today as followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, Do you feel that sense of urgency to proclaim this gospel? Because let me just tell you, you're called to it. Every one of us in this room, if Christ lives in you, you have a calling on your life to proclaim the gospel of God. Paul said the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. The power of God indwells us, church. And I know that's, yeah, we know, you know, I've been to Sunday school. I know the power of God indwells me, Nate. But do you really, in the way that you live your life, do, do, because I don't know that I always think of that in my, my daily life, in the daily routines of my life as I'm driving to the convenience store, as I'm, as I'm getting gas, I'm having random conversations with people, I'm not thinking about the kingdom of God, I'm just thinking about uh, trying to get out of the grocery store. But the power of God indwells us, Christian. And Paul says, it's not a matter of talk, but of power. There's a story in the book of Acts. You know, by, the way, by the way, part of our job and mission as, as the church of Jesus is to push back darkness. Did you know that? We are called to push back darkness. Now, that's weird terminology to use, but we have to realize we are at war with an unseen spiritual realm, evil spirits, on full attack mode. So we, as the church of the living God, are called to push back darkness. So if we just sit idly by and, and, and just enjoy a regular routine of church life, if we're not pushing back darkness, then we're missing out on some of the very things God has called us into. To push back darkness. So a story in the book of Acts, I believe it's Acts 19. Satan is at work in the lives of people, just FYI. Evil spirits are at work in, in everyday life. They are. And so my question is, in, well, in Acts 19, the story of the seven sons of Sceva. See, in Jesus' day or in, in Paul's day, there were... Uh, Jews who were, you know, performing exorcisms. And so, seven sons of Sceva in the, in the book of Acts 19, they see that Paul is able to do miraculous signs and wonders, exorcisms, casting out demons, and they want that. And so they say, uh, in, the name of the, uh, of the, in the name of Jesus, in which Paul proclaims, they're trying to do exorcisms. And you know what a demon responds into their response was, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? So you have the power of God indwelling you, living inside of you, but, but do you believe that? Because I believe when we walk in a room, the kingdom of God enters that room. So the question is, Does the unseen spiritual realm see that? Are we pushing back darkness when we enter into a room? Are we pushing back darkness when we enter into anything? The kingdom of God 
or the believer is, the kingdom of God is near. The power of God indwells us. We have a calling on our life to push back darkness. And you might think, where is this going? Aren't we talking about baptism? And we're going to get there. But if you know that the, the, the power of the living God indwells you, you have the ability to push back darkness. I want the, unsp- the spiritual realm of evil, if you will, to look at my life and say, Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. But who are you? Who are you? I want to push back darkness, church. And I can do that because Christ lives in me. The hope of eternal glory. So to not proclaim this kingdom like we all should, you know, this is not just for the preacher. The preacher is not the one to proclaim the gospel to all the world. Jesus didn't say, I commissioned one person to preach the gospel to all the earth, to all the world. He told that to His disciples. We are all called, equally called, to make light of the kingdom of Jesus Christ in our everyday lives, to push back darkness. And I fear that many believers throughout the global church have grown too comfortable in their salvation. Too comfortable in their salvation. God saved me at a point in my life. I'm good. I've escaped hell. And now I'm going to live comfortably. Where in the Bible do you see that? Nowhere. As if salvation is a one-time decision and then attending church is just my due diligence back to God. That's not the kingdom of God. That is is not the kingdom of God. And that is not the calling on your life, believer. It's not the calling on your life. So have you grown too comfortable in your Christian life? Become too comfortable in the redundancy of of church life and the normalcy of church life and forgotten about the power of God that saved you through the Gospel. The Gospel doesn't just save us, it sustains us. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. So Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. It's near. It has come. Repent and believe in the Gospel. So let's work a little backwards here. What is the Gospel? Now, most of you know exactly what the Gospel is. We might hear different answers, but it all might apply. What is the Gospel? It is the good news. The good news. That's what Gospel means. Good news that the Creator God has come to sinful man in the person of Jesus Christ He has died on the cross for the sins of the world. His blood has become sufficient for our salvation. And when He rose from the dead, He conquered sin, death, and the grave, and He made a way for us to experience eternal life. The unfortunate reality is that we live in a fallen world. We we live in a fallen world, a sinful, selfish, and broken world. This is the state of mankind. It's not by any doing of your own, by the way. God created a perfect world, perfect relationship with man, and then in Genesis 3, at the very beginning, first pages of Scripture, uh, sin enters into the cosmos. Sin enters into humanity. And ever since that moment in Genesis 3, we have been under a curse of sin. We are all born with a sinful nature. This is what the Bible points to. It does not matter how good you think you are, how righteous you think you are, how above reproach you think you are. You are by your human nature sinful. Each one of us born with a sinful nature, which, which, by the way, makes this gathering a level playing field. This whole gathering right now, every person in this room, anybody watching uh, this recording later, 
any person gathered in any church across the world, this is a level playing field. We are all born with a sinful nature. Every single one of us. It does not matter how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter even how long you've been a member of this church. How successful you are. How much money you have. How big your house is. How much Bible knowledge you have. None of that matters one bit. Saved by grace through faith. Not a doing of ourselves. Why? So that no man can boast. Not by works. Not by works. So that no man can boast. We have all sinned. Paul says this. It's very clear. We've all sinned. This is what makes it a level playing field. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Every single one of us. Nobody is greater than the next in this room. Nobody is greater than the next in this room. (laughs) Nobody is greater than the next. No title, position, or level of influence determines our value as Christians. The only one that determines our value is the Son of the living God, Jesus Christ. So when Paul writes this letter 2,000 years ago to a church in a place called Ephesus, I've used this verse so many times because this verse, this passage, if you will, is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It starts out really brutal, but then it gets really, really good. So he writes this letter 2,000 years ago, but it applies to every person across this world. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's, that's Satan. That's, that's the schemer. That's the enemy. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That is clear as day. Level playing field. And then verse 4 happens. But God, being rich in mercy according to His unfailing love in which He loved us. He has saved us. By grace we have been saved through faith. Not by works. So that no one can boast, Paul says. Level playing field. This is by nature children around. This is the the nature of humanity. Because of sin. So before receiving Jesus, before receiving the forgiveness of our sins through Christ, which Jesus says, repent and believe in the good news, we are dead in our sins before receiving the forgiveness of our sins. And that news is this, that a Savior has come in the person of Jesus. God with us. God in the flesh. The God who existed before eternity passed has come to us in the person of Christ and laid down His life for you, for me. For our sake He made Him to be no... For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus never sinned, but He became our sin. On the cross. Your sin. Nailed to the cross. He didn't carry your sins on His shoulders as He journeyed to the cross. He became your sin. So that you might become the righteousness of God. 
not by your own doing. Why? So that nobody in this room can boast. That's the news. Christ has come to bear our sins on the cross. Uh, remember uh, what we learned in, in Philippians when we studied that at the beginning of the year. It wasn't just a cross. It wasn't the cross. It wasn't the, the Roman cross. It was His cross. That's what it says in Colossians. It, it was His cross. See, God made the decision Himself to come into our brokenness as the Savior of the world and to ultimately journey to His cross. His cross, He calls it. He literally became our sin. So to believe in the good news that is the Gospel is to trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Not only did He spill out His blood for the forgiveness of your sins and for, for your eternity, but He rose from the dead, conquering sin, death, and the grave. He died on His cross. And so to believe is to trust putting your faith in Jesus and the sacrifice that He made for for you, when He died on the cross and rose in victory over sin, over death, when He walked out of that tomb. Now, I know, uh, Nate, oh my goodness, we've known that for a long time. I, I understand some of you have. It, it, the Gospel is not just a, it saved me and then I press on to live the Christian life. It is the Gospel that sustains us. It's the Gospel that drives us. If you have to wake up every single day and remind yourself of the beauty and the wonder and the power of the Gospel, do it. Do it every day. You're here to make light of the Gospel. Don't forget about the Gospel. The Gospel is why we're here. The Gospel is why we exist. The Gospel is why the church was born. The Gospel. The Gospel. The Gospel. It's not a one-hit wonder. It sustains you. The Gospel. The good news that a Savior has come to bear our sins on the cross. It's the Gospel. You ever weep over Jesus and it's just His love for you? You can't even imagine why He would save you? You? Me? Me? You saved me? The Gospel. Man, don't ever lose sight of that. You're here because of the Gospel. Maybe you're here because someone invited you and that's what you're thinking right now. No, you're here because of the Gospel. This building exists because of the Gospel. These people are gathered because of the Gospel. Jesus came to proclaim the Gospel. Don't ever let the Gospel get old. You let the Gospel get old. Something is wrong with your faith because it is the Gospel that sustains us. You want to be a redundant Christian? Let the Gospel be redundant in your life. So Jesus says, the time has come. Repent and believe in the Gospel. So what does it mean to repent? Now we've also talked about this as well. Literally, it means to change one's mind. It is, if you will, a complete 180. You are literally living in one way and then you are turning and you are starting and beginning to live in a completely different way. It is a changing of one's mind, but it's even deeper than that. It's a changing in one's actions. It's a changing in one's actions. It's a changing and a renewing of your mind and a changing and renewing in, in how you live your life. A complete 180. I was going one way, but then I met Jesus. 
And I started to live a completely different way. Why? Because of the Gospel. By the way, I have not put the word Gospel in my manuscript that many times. I'm just excited to tell you about the Gospel. I have a tendency to say things that are not here. But that's okay. What's more pressing and more glorious than the Gospel of God? So to change your mind and actions about your sin, the Bible calls it your former ways or your former life, it is to first understand that you're a sinner. And that's not meant to be hurtful. That's just the truth. And again, level playing field. Every single one of us. Fallen short of the glory of God. Born with the sinful nation, nature. By nature, children of wrath. Like what? The rest of mankind. Level playing field. One thing that the Bible makes clear is that we have all sinned, fallen short of God's glory, and the only thing that reconciles us to God, the Father, is the Gospel. The finished work of Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection is what brings us back. It reconciles us to the Father. It's the Gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Don't keep this Gospel inside these four walls. This Gospel belongs and is for everyone who believes. You preach it and no one believes, you keep on preaching it. Paul says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen to that. Amen to that. Interesting, looking at this, if you go into the Gospel of Matthew, you know the story of Jesus is out on the water and Peter walks on water. Then he starts to sink in the water. Look what it says. He said, come, Jesus said. So Peter got up boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. I don't have it on the screen. Lord, save me. Save me. Same Greek word there. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. Now, see, you were drowning in your life of sin and in yourself, glorifying the, uh, yourself, gratifying the desires of your flesh, drowning, and Jesus threw you a life preserver. But I think he did more than that. That's a story I heard one time by a preacher. I thought it was a good illustration. But there's actually one I think that's better. Uh, he does it kind of in a way that he does Peter. He reaches down into the depths of your sin and yourself and he pulls you out of the muck and mire. Psalm 40. Puts your feet on a rock and gives you a firm place to stand. Amen. Let's see, Jesus ripped... He put His arm into whatever it was that you were drowning in. Whatever your sin was, whatever your habits were, whatever that muck and that mire was for you, Jesus reached in it and pulled you out of it. Jesus pursues you. 
Jesus chose you. And he chose to reach down into uh, the, the yuck and the muck and the, and the grime that you were in. And he, what did he do? He pulled you out of it. That's just the grace and the love of our God. You were drowning and Jesus gave us a life preserver, if you will. He reached out His hand and pulled us out. So, do you believe these things? I have it on the the next slide. Do you believe these things? Next slide. Maybe you went to the bathroom. Uh, You are a sinner. Do you you believe? Or you were a sinner. Uh, You need a Savior. Um, Or you needed a Savior. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. His name means to save. Yeshua, the Lord saves. That's what His name means. Jesus, the Lord saves. Jesus died for your sins. Do you believe that? Jesus' blood washes away your sins and it's sufficient for your salvation, your eternal life. Do you believe that? Jesus rose from the dead. Do you believe that? He didn't stay dead. He came back to life. And Jesus' resurrection has conquered sin, death, and the grave. Do you believe that? Because the Bible makes clear if you believe those things, next slide, you must be baptized. You must be baptized. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. An act of obedience according to the Word of God is you must be baptized. Solidifying the calling that God has already placed on your life to come to Him. You must be baptized. So what I'm saying is baptism is not a choice. We don't just, you know, I don't think I want to be baptized. Baptized is not a choice. Jesus did not encourage baptism and He did not suggest it. He commanded it. It was a command by our God to be baptized. It is a key ordinance. Baptism, by the way, is a key ordinance of the local church to baptize. So as Jesus was ascending into heaven, He leaves this command to His disciples and He gives this command to us through His Word. Under the authority of the Word of God, Jesus says, Go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. I should have highlighted that word. I'm usually good about highlighting the right words. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Baptism. A command by Jesus. And so soon after Jesus uh, gives this command, He pours out His Holy Spirit on His disciples. The church is born, Acts 2. And then the very first sermon in the history of the church of Jesus Christ is preached by a former fisherman, former coward, former deserter of Jesus, but stands in the power of God and preaches the very first sermon. And at the end of that sermon, it says this, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. See, the Spirit of God can do that. He can cut to the heart of the matter. Bring conviction and a sweet, good love that's going to bring you to Him. And now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, quite simply, Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) There has never been a Christian in the history of the Christian church who was actually able to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. 
You just can't do it. It's impossible. And so God in His grace gives us the third person of the triune God, the Holy Spirit. He's the comforter. He's the helper. He's the power of God that lives and indwells us. Helping us live and bring glory to Him. He doesn't give us His Spirit to, to go out and glorify ourselves. He, he gives us His Spirit to obey His commands and bring glory to Him. And so, Peter preaches a sermon and then he says, repent and be baptized, every single one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 people get saved. 3,000 people are baptized. 3,000 people are filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Can, can you ask me after, Lord? We're almost done. We're almost done. Baptism is a public demonstration of our identification with Jesus. This is a public thing. This is a public thing. Paul says in Romans 6, we are buried therefore with Him in baptism. Into death. We are buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That's amazing to me. That is amazing. We get to walk in newness of life for we have been united, Keyword with Him death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. That's a key word there, united. That's what baptism does. You are united with Christ through baptism. Identifying with Him in His death and identifying with Him in His resurrection. To be baptized is not only our first act of obedience to Jesus as Christians, but we're united with Him, the living God. Through baptism, united with Him in His death. Meaning our life of sin is being buried with Jesus in His death. We no longer have to be slaves to our sin. It's being buried with Christ in His death. And when we come out of that water, we are raised to resurrection life. That we may walk in newness of life. Uh, so the first reality of baptism is that your, 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 your life of sin is being buried with Christ in his death. Second reality of baptism is we are united with Jesus in his re resurrection, meaning we, we come out of that water and we're raised to new life. It, it is that simple. Raised to new life. Uh, he says in verse 4 that we might walk in newness of life. What happens here is your old life is being put to death and you are now a new person. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, Paul says this, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. A new creation. By no doing of yourself, a new creation, a new creature. God has recreated in you a new person. To be baptized into Christ is to become a new creature. A brand new person. What does that mean? What does that mean for our identity? What does that mean you know, as a new person? What does it mean to have a new identity? Here's just a few things that you would actually find in 2 Corinthians leading up to this passage. You no longer identify with your sin but with God's grace. You have new peace, new comfort, new strength, new hope. You have new help, new promises to bank your life on. The Word of God is filled with promises for the church. You have a new spirit that God places inside of you. You have a new joy in Jesus, new glory, new righteousness. You no longer are separated from God, but you boldly come before the throne of grace as a son and daughter of God. You have new freedom from sin, from addiction, from bondage to yourself. 
You have new confidence, new life, new faith, new speech. Just a new way about you. You have a new heart, a new future, a new home in heaven with a new guarantee for eternity with Jesus. That's what it means to be a new creation. And Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are no longer condemned by God, but reconciled to God as a new creation. Your identity is in Jesus, the Son of the living God. So, Christian, are you a new creation? Because if you're a new creation, then you have a calling on your life. Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians 5. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us, to us, the message of reconciliation. You have a calling on your life, Christian, filled with the Holy Spirit, a new creature, living and abiding in Jesus, to bear fruit, to make light of the kingdom, uh, to be a part of this message of reconciliation. You have been reconciled to God. Now go out and be a message and a hope of reconciliation for others to God. But the gospel is not, it saved me, and now I, I go to church until I go to heaven. That's not the gospel. That's not the Christian life. The gospel is what sustains us and drives the work of the ministry of the local church. And so today is a, a special day for, a, for, for, for the life of this church and for anyone who wants to come forward with a decision to be baptized into Christ. I want you to just see this on the slide, uh, the next slide, I believe it is. Do you see that here, church? Do you see God is at work in this church? Do you see it? Do you sense it? Do you feel it? Do you want to just glory in, in God being at work in this church? Because the more that we let the gospel drive our lives, I'm talking daily lives, I'm talking the life of this church, I'm, I'm talking the leadership and the, just the serving and everything that we do, if the gospel drives us, God will be at work in this church. God is at work in this church. Do you see it? Do you feel it? Do you sense it? Do you want to be a part of it? You just want to grab hold of that and just be a part of God being at work in this church. And the Bible is saying you can be. You can be a part of the message of reconciliation. The level playing field, all filled with the Holy Spirit, all called to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Do you want to be a part of God being at work in this church? I hope you do. So what I want to do now is I want to invite a young man up here, Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah has come from Amarillo about a month ago or so. His family moved him here. And, and, and Jeremiah walked into our church last Sunday. And the courage of this young man to just come into a church not knowing anybody. And uh, Jeremiah, come, come stand with me. And um, he came in here, and you know I made sure he had his coffee and all that, like I would do for any guest. And uh, he came to our class that we, that we have now called Get to Know Hillcrest, where we just tell people, hey, here's what, what the church is. Here, here's who we are as Hillcrest. Here's the things that we're doing. Here's how you can jump in and serve, and so on and so forth. And he came to that class, and we, we have a card that people fill out, and he, he filled out on that card that, that he, uh, he wanted to be baptized. 
And so I met with Jeremiah, um, took him to lunch on Friday, and, and we talked about all of that. And Jeremiah told me his story, and, and I won't give full details or anything, but Jeremiah told me, you know, growing up his life was not the easiest. How many of you can relate to that? You had a difficult upbringing. Life is just throws curveballs at all of us. It's not our fault. We don't choose where we're born into any of those things. And life just happens. Amen? And Jeremiah told me in just a few short words that he wanted to make a change, that he wanted to start over. And I said, man, Jesus can do that. And so here's what we're going to do. Worship team can go ahead and come up here. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray over Jeremiah. Y'all are going to sing a song. We're going to baptize Jeremiah. And then we're going to sing another worship song, and I'll close us out with prayer. I want to invite anyone, as they're singing this song, as Jeremiah go back to change, if you want to come up, if you want to surrender your life to Jesus, if you want to be united with Him and be baptized, the invitation is here. The invitation is always here, but today is a a particular day where we are all about seeing life change in this church. New life happening. Uh, There's a, a, a scripture that came over me as I was speaking with Jeremiah and, and just praying over him. You know, when the prophet, or when God came to the prophet Jeremiah, many Bible scholars believe that Jeremiah was about 17 to 24 years old or so when he came to Jeremiah. And this is so relatively the same age as you are, Jeremiah. And he said, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. You, you think about that. Before. The foundation of the world, Jeremiah, God in heaven knew your name. That is not something that should be taken lightly. That is just the beauty and the grace of our God. Before the foundation of the world, God in heaven knew you by your name. And he goes on to say, before you were born, I set you apart. He says, I I appointed you to be a prophet uh, to the nations. Before the foundation of the world, God knew you all, knew Jeremiah, knew me by our names to set us apart to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. That's what God is doing for you right now. He is setting you apart to be an ambassador for Jesus. That is just truly amazing to me. And I love one other thing. Uh, There are many things that are true about your life, um, Jeremiah, after today. Here's another one. Romans chapter 8. Paul says this in Romans 8. This is true of every believer. We don't know where the Lord's going to take us in our lives. He's got plans for us. He uses us in ways He sees fit. But here's what's true of you, Jeremiah. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else, and all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so let me, let me pray over you. And then Glenn will come up, grab that microphone, and, and we will baptize this young man into Jesus Christ. Will you bow and pray with me? Father, I just thank you for Jeremiah. I thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love and the power that works within us to do and to act according to Your will. I pray, Father, as we baptize Jeremiah into Christ, You forgive him of all sin, fill him with Your Holy Spirit, that he would go out and live as an ambassador for the Son of the living God. 
God, I pray that as you begin to teach him and show him and walk with him in this newness of life, that he would see the great value that you have on his life. A young man called by the living God, set apart to be an ambassador of the Savior of the world. Father, I pray that he would be not only empowered to do uh, the, the work in the ministry that you call him to do, but that he would be encouraged because he does not have to do it alone. There are brothers and sisters and believers in this room and across the world who are following you, who at one time all on the same playing field. We are all saved by grace through faith in Christ. It is not a works of our own. It is the gift of God. And so God, would you, would you let him just be encouraged in this moment? God, I pray that as he takes the next steps of his life, as, as he doesn't know, as just like all of us, we don't know where you're going to take us in 5, 10, 15, 20 years. But God, another truth for this young man, every step that he takes in this life, the Lord his God will go with him wherever he goes. So Father, use him mightily for the glory of your great name. Use him mightily to exalt the name of Jesus in his life. Use him mightily to be a testimony of your grace and your love. Use him mightily, God, to be a part and to play a part in the ministry of reconciliation. We praise you, God, for your mighty just power and your goodness and your love for all of our lives. God, we praise you that we get to glory in this together as the church. And so, Father, use this moment as an encouragement to our church today. The gospel is what saves us the gospel is what sustains us. Father, I pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. Based on your confession of faith, I am now going to baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So let's do that. Ready? Yes. Buried with Christ in his death. Hold on. <laughs> First baptism in a while. <laughs> Buried with Christ in his death. Raised to newness life. Yeah. 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 Yeah.